We're live. Live and direct with Tom Hibbert. Uh, is it still Winning Health Solutions? That's what it was when I first went. I you know you've, you've changed your, yeah. your personal branding. A yeah, bit. so we opened, we opened Winning Health in 2009, and now it's Winning Strength as of the end of the last pan, end of the last lockdown. So the, the pandemic brought the, the change on Winning Strength. Just it, it screams more about me, my ethos, yeah. what I what I'm about with regards to sport and athleticism, um, the way I train people. It just fits me more. Winning health solutions we came up with, or I think it was me mainly, because we wanted to get everything. You know, <laughs> yeah. But you don't really know where you're going to go, and I think I've been nudged down that strength path pathway, as you probably know as well. Yeah, and you and you're always going to be about holistic health, but. The majority of people who who come to you, they're going to want to get crazy strong. So winning strength is like literally the promise, and that's what like I think that's a great message straight up for anyone out there who's a gym owner, business owner. If your brand can have the promise in it, then you know that's going to communicate to the people you want to work with better. Um, and the brand that you personally love that you think resonates with you, um, like often people have these holistic brands, and it's like super romantic, and but it doesn't actually say anything to the people who you want to come and pay you, who you get to then take on that holistic journey. So therefore you miss out on half the people that you would have taken yeah. on this wonderful whimsical journey, but they, if they can't resonate with it or see it, then, mm. um, yeah. So you've become a, I mean, you've been a business owner for a long time. Mm -hmm. You're also coming at it from the angle of being like a real strength athlete. So you, you know, you've come at it from the angle of being an athlete, and you're, you know, and you're running a business and you have to make the business work. Do you have a real passion for the business as well? Or is it like a necessary evil for you? It, it, you know what? It used to be a necessary evil. It's changed yeah. recently. It's changed as I'm reaching the end of, I call it the end of my strength career. Because I've kind of, I've achieved, I've achieved things that I'm really proud of. I go, one, yeah. one more I definitely want to do. Nothing else that interests me as an athlete. I will still train. Because I just I find that's my best way of learning. Sometimes I get an idea 100%. or a concept. I try it out on myself. I don't just guinea pig my athletes. Um, you just get ideas. You get a feel for things more when you train. Um, so yeah, you know what? It's a good question. It was a necessary evil before. You, you fall in love with the idea, and then you don't understand. Oh crap! This is a lot more work than I thought. And my passion was obviously the strength training. And then I just made my peace with it. I'm like, right, I'm going to do well. I'm going to do enough to eat. I'm going to do enough to save. Um, but I'm going to prioritize my my strength training uh, ability. Um, I never thought of myself as a gifted athlete. I was one of those genetic freaks, so I'm getting hot. Um, so I just wanted to work hard and figure out different ways of training, and I was just obsessed with that. I wasn't obsessed with yep. business. I hate marketing. Yep. I hire somebody else to do it. <laughs> she, she, bless her, has to have a lot of patience with me because I just don't enjoy it. Um, I'm more about learning. I, I love I love educating and putting stuff out. And I think one of the things she's helped me realize is the way people see things is obviously different to me. I can read a couple of paragraphs. Boom, that's all I knew, all I need. I could listen to, you know, when we had Charles speaking, you could listen to him, you absorb it, you do it, you crack on. I don't need it to be pretty. I don't need it to look a certain way on Instagram or, or whatever. Maybe that's just uh, my nature. But um, but yeah, that's kind of kind of where I am now. It's, it's still getting the, I'm now more about the business. I think that's a huge thing. Like so many coaches start because they're passionate about it because they love, you know, they love the athlete side. And then it's, it's an, it's an amazing idea to have a gym and you want to have a place where you know, people can get genuine service results. You know, you, you're going to be full time in the gym. Like that's the dream. 
but if you can't make it work financially, then it just becomes a nightmare, you know, and you, you don't get to help as many people. You're stressing about all sorts of things that you didn't want to be stressing about. You can't put as much time into your own training. You can't, you know, you don't have the energy for that or you don't get as much learning done as you want to get done. So the business, you know, get, you know, making that business side work is is such a key piece for the freedom and space that you want to have, um, you know, the reason why you start. Now you're transitioning more, like we we're just touching before we started the recording. Like you've uh, you're about to release an app. Um, yeah. What's the what's the idea behind that, and how's how's that process been? So the process has been fun because, <laughs> right? So the way the process started was one of my clients was fed up of the Excel sheet on his phone. Okay, so we've all got Excel sheets. I've been selling them for donkeys of years i'm quite proud of what we managed with an excel sheet and he helped me with some of the excel sheets but he's like look i go in the gym and you have to scroll from like one side to the other and it's, the input's not great um so it's like right i'm just going to create an app for myself and i was like do you want to monetize that uh then he was like yeah we can we, we can try we can, we can give it a go and the app has gone from obviously just taking my spreadsheets and how they're how they're written what contents in them all the programs all the reps and sets and it's taken that looked at what other other um competitors do um like there aren't many apps that give you the opportunity to write tempo there aren't many apps that give the opportunity to write your own complete database with videos there aren't many apps that also have the marketplace options so we're just taking the best of every world but the main thing is i wanted it for me and my clients and my strength athletes um yep. So it, it, it's so customizable as a coach. So if you w- went on there, you can basically make it your own your own thing. You can completely ignore my database, my videos, uh, and you can make your own one up. And that, that's kind of kind of what we wanted. And now you, people can enter in their workouts. I can actually see clients doing it in real time if I wanted. I could log onto their calendar and go, oh, he's doing that right now. And they're entering all their data in. I can comment on it. They can upload their videos. I can look at the set, look at the video, give them a comment. Bosh, basically take them through it. It's just taking the online process and just taking it up a level for myself as a, as a coach. Uh, that was obviously the priority. But then we looked at it and obviously it's um, it's a good model to roll out to other people. I think it's got a lot of legs for other people. Yeah, that's that's super exciting. What's, what's it called? Uh, Winning Strength Blueprint. Perfect. So the website is, is it- website's up. It's just not, um, it's like hidden or whatever. Okay, yeah, yeah. When are you looking to publish, go to market? Yeah, I keep pushing the programmer. He's really happy with me. So <laughs> it's ready now. Um, but the marketplace bit just needs, well, it needs a week of work and then a week of testing. So the marketplace yep. would be, let's say you had the, the real movement overhead press or real movement bench press. You would go on that and you could put your programs on there and set it to the mass market. So it'll be free yep. for general users and then coaches it would be based on you know, how many clients they've got if they wanted to use it. But the, the opportunity to sell programs on there is, is the thing we just need. We need to finalize that uh, before we launch. And then there's a whole host of different things we want to run out. And that's the beauty of it because it's a programmer and he's a business partner. It doesn't necessarily cost a whole host of money to add in new things and new, new, new functions. So we can just basically take it. It's our baby run with it and then obviously as we get more clients over the next year it'll be taking feedback and seeing what what, what changes and functions they want yeah that's cool does it does uh, your partner in at work full-time in app development or is it a hobby of his no 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 he's a full-time programmer yeah, yeah that's cool 
because it can be super expensive to make customizations and it's difficult to know in advance exactly how things are going to you know going to work so i think that's a good it's a good deal it's the same sort of deal with real movement it's one of the guys that um, he was a member of Real Movement 2016, and then he built an app for the gym that he worked at. Um, and now he sort of came back to us and said, "Hey, I'm building a new thing. You know, do you guys want to be the the first mm-hmm. using it?" So we've got yeah, we've got like 500 you know coaches on our yeah. new app, and there's you know, there's been some teething and whatnot, but it's um it's fun to yeah, see it roll it. out, and it's I think there's going to be so much innovation in this space, and I think like when AI kind of meets a bit more with, with programming as well, like I think there's going to be some really cool functionality come out of, you know, what people's RPEs are and how many reps they actually get versus the target for in terms of their next session and all that sort of stuff I think is going to, I think it'll progress in the, in the time ahead. Like it's quite exciting. And I think, yeah, as you say, like there's, there's definitely going to be some changes in the market, whether the existing market leaders, you know, evolve, with that or or whether mm. there's sort of new you know new people have a go but it's yeah i think it's going to be fun to mm. fun to watch um yeah. and really i had my um, to... i had my videographer try a load of them and he, yep. he he came to the conclusion he was trying he just did the free trial on all of them and he wanted to write yep. a program for his partner and he came to the conclusion he's better off on evernote yeah. Just because the lack the lack of options and functions to create your own workout based on what you see, instead of I mean I think I think a lot of these look pretty, whereas ours is yeah. you know it looks good but it's it's basic it's functional. Yeah, love it. What else have uh, you been sort of working on innovating around like more in the in the training realm? I know you're always learning, looking for the edge. Have you have you been running any experiments that you can let us in on lately? I suppose the latest one was um, I've been running strength, maximal strength, and speed strength on the same day. So it's kind of like taking taking some theory of how the Bulgarians used to train, where they would train 30 to 40 minutes at a time and then take a 30-minute break. Now, they're going to do this multiple times a day. We're talking they might do it twice and then twice again in the afternoon and twice again in the evening. I'm just doing it twice in the morning. Um, and I was looking at – I wanted to see – how Andy Bolton trained and how I reacted to it only on two days a week though. So the way Andy Bolton trains is he always has his maximal strength and then he always does his speed work straight afterwards. He doesn't use accommodating resistance. So let's, let's take the deadlift. That's what he's known for. He'd work up to his, his, his target set of five for that week. He'd do a nice linear progression over four, eight, 12 weeks, whatever. So he works up to set of five backs off, takes a huge percentage off and does loads of speed work uh, with the, with the, with the bar. Uh, no accommodating resistance. So he always goes maximal strength and speed work because he's potentiated for that speed work. His speed work is now quicker. Uh, and yeah. that's what he finds is the key to his strength gains. So I wanted to try that. And then I wanted to intersperse it with little rest periods. Um, it's something I've done before at my peak at under 90, probably when I was the strongest I was at, I was at that weight. I was doing four mini sessions a day, four days a week. So I would train at seven, eight, nine, ten. Half an hour on, half an hour off. So I'm kind of doing that, but it's only two sessions. So I'm, I'm used to a lot more volume, um, so I can handle it. But I've been doing it with some other guys as well who were able to get access to that equipment. So it's a weird concept because it sounds like, oh, my God, you're doing so much work. But it's just it, it's just spreading it out so you can get maybe 5 to 10% more work. And then again, a little bit more quality. So that's the only recent experiment I've been doing. It's um, you would do your maximal session, 
you've got 30 to 45 minutes up from the first set to get that done. 30 minute break, and then you're doing your speed strength session, which usually takes less than 30 minutes. Um, I much prefer getting getting work, getting uh, workouts done uh, like that at the moment rather than one massive workout. Another thing that might come with that as well is like in terms of tendons, and there's a few things that come up for me there, but the speed strength work and accommodating resistance, like the risk for some people is if, if you don't get the tendons warmed up like that, you can flare tendons, you know, with the accommodating resistance, the banded speed work. Um, if you're doing it after you've already worked a heavy work and you're sort of warmer mm. going into the session, potentially, you know, mitigate some of that um, challenge, you're, you're maximally nearly potentiated. I guess the purist would say if you give, you know, you, you don't, choose what you're going to adapt to then if, you, if you're like giving too many different types of, um, you know, if you're trying to put a pattern into the record, um, if you're trying to etch something neurologically into your brain, a, a pattern and you do it in different ways, then mm. you don't like create a specific stimulus from that session. Mm -hmm. So you're talking what about you doing only ever one strength quality per session, which is also what Louis says. Well, a lot of people say I don't necessarily subscribe to it, but that's like mm. something that you know a lot of people push. Of like, if you if you have multiple patterns in there, then you you may not actually learn as much. To me, it doesn't make sense. It's like if you played piano, and just because you play two different pieces or three different pieces mm. in the same piano practice, it doesn't mean you're not going to learn the first one because you play you know you play a different one with a different style mm. after mm. that. If you take it to Bulgaria, if you take it to weightlifting, some of the best squatters in history and strongmen with the best deadlifts in history, they're more so playing a, a number of different styles or a number of different musical instruments and then coming mm. up with performances um, and probably levels of resilience, you know, that other, mm. other athletes can't match. You know, the durability of a strongman versus the, you know, the, the durability of a powerlifter. Um, mm you're going to see a lot of difference based on that kind of movement vocabulary or variety of stimulus. Yeah. I see that point and I still run training with different systems. And for me, it's the key, yeah. the key is changing the system. But if that yeah. was the case, Andy Bolton wouldn't have done anything and neither <laughs> would any of his athletes. And he's, he's had a lot of guys just in the same gym, uh, not world record numbers, but very good numbers. And then yeah. he obviously trains a lot of people online that, that pull uh, and push good numbers. So for me, uh, I don't get stuck into one system. I like to try different things. I see, I see the, I see the point, um, yeah. but I would agree to disagree. For me, that system is better for speed strength if you want to improve that quality, um, not necessarily maximal strength. Is what I'm finding. Yeah, and you're getting your volume done with a potentially a more powerful neurological, you know, stimulus by by doing the speed work rather than getting volume in the way Shaco might with lots of kind of sub-maximal lots of sets so you're getting a bunch of practice but you're not getting that ma maximal neural drive neither of the heavy set which is, comes first nor of the of the sub-maximal volume like i guess mm. that's what west side and and what you're talking about there with andy like you, you're getting a maximal like a, a stronger learning stimulus potentially you know for, if you have a given amount of training volume that you can get done you know do you get more learning when there's maximal intention versus a weight that doesn't really require that, which is kind mm. of the, the way a lot of powerlifting stuff is, is programmed. Mm. For sure. Does he do that on the pressing as well? 
Andy? Yeah. Are you doing pressing. that on your pressing? Yeah. So I do a press day and a, and a squat day because I don't need to do too much on the posterior chain. The, the clean's not a problem. Um, how does he do his benching? Yeah, very similar. He has, yeah. he has a, he, he does it on three days a week. And that's one of the reasons yep. I think he's better because he goes heavy three days a week. I think people go too heavy too often. So he'll go, uh, was it squat day, bench day, deadlift day, take four days off. Sometimes to do remedial work on a fourth day, basically grip and things like that. So he's he doesn't subscribe at all to the little submaximal recovery type workouts of of Westside, which become a lot more than that, I guess, for in some of the Westside. No. If you ask Andy's opinion on Westside, he, he's not derogatory about it, but he's like, look, that does not work for me. I'm not interested in it. And yeah. you know, he's been using the same system for years, but um, he doesn't do lots of mini workouts, not at all. Yeah. Interesting. Like, it's funny how I always look for the common ground as well, though, right? Like, look for the commonality. What if If there's multiple people training world champions and they might mm. argue about things, but if you can see, well, these are the points of similarity, like this is what crosses over, I think that's... Um, the biggest that's similarity is the fact that they both do speed work. Yeah. And, and yeah, if they're valuing, if they're valuing that highly, um, I guess it's also like he's only, you know, Louis Simmons' system, it's only going heavy on the presses once a week. It's only going heavy on the squats once a week, you know. So there is that commonality potentially with it as well. Um, mm. What, what's your take on the West Side? You know, have, have you ever tried that style with the mini workouts? With the mini, no. The only thing I don't like about West Side is the way he does his uh, max effort session. I'm not a big what's fan of the the different lift each week. To yeah, I know they. You see different things. You never know what what's truly going on. But the the, yeah. the premise of it would be building up to a max for that lift in as Quickest, quickish as time as possible. After a certain point, once you once you think you're ready after 60-70%, it's get there uh, in decent jumps. It's not like you know do a lot of attempts at it. Um, not at all. Um, I yeah. I prefer a little bit more planning. I like I love the Norwegian uh, loading system that I've got on the website. It's a multi frequency squat system and powerlifting yeah. system, but just the loading is just so. It's the one I use with Hixie. I used I used it with Hixie, and he I took his um. It was the final block that took his strip log from 200 to 215, only 15 kilos off the world record. So, you know, it it works. Even it doesn't matter what kind of level athlete you are. It's about being patient with it. But um, I like that. And then obviously I love the undulating side of things. That obviously, I, I first learned from from Charles. Um, I, I love that way of doing that into a peak rather than just. Honestly, I've never tried Louis' system. Yeah. max effort system i massively love it when i've got two maximal days two speed strength days for similar lifts you know overhead press push press whatever and i use that i've used that with great uh great results myself and my athletes i use it quite a lot with my with my strongmen um and lots with power lifters but it's just the maximal effort uh, that i just i'm not comfortable with almost guessing at lifts it seems there must yeah, be yeah, a system yeah. and, a, and a way it undulates into a peak, but yeah, not a fan of it. You could see how, though, for, for geared powerlifters with 20-plus years' experience in a, in a super 
testosterone-driven environment, they're basically practicing like competing once a week. So when they go to a competition, like mentally, they're going to be rock solid because of that. If they survive mm-hmm. in the Westside gym, they're going to be rock solid. And then, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of those variations are, are kind of lockout movements, which is what the geared lifting and they can't tolerate the geared lifting all the time, like the suits and whatnot in their training. Like they don't want to be training like their competition lifts all the time from, you know, what I, so it sort of makes sense from that perspective of what they've arrived to with having to do crazy heavy partials, like that being their system pretty often. Like it makes sense that they don't do lots of reps and lots of volume in those styles of lifts, but they're still getting like that top end specificity. What I think crosses over with with Charles though is like, to me, like all the mini lift, the, the mini workouts, and the overall philosophy of like you actually you develop the movements with the speed work and then with the wherever the gaps are. To me, that sort of looks like the um, structural balance type model. Like you find where the gap is in your strength and hammer the crap out of that, and then when you go back and do your compound lift, it'll it'll move where it wouldn't move before. Like, um, is that still where like how does structural balance kind of fit in? Like the smaller movements arm training, um, calves, you know, the stuff that people hate about the child, about Charles's sort of system. Where does that sort of stuff fit in for you? What, what's the hate about the system? What's their belief on it? Well, I think a lot of people are very critical of Charles for his em- emphasis on, on the arms, on the different, um, you know, postures and positions and brachialis and brachioradialis. And, you know, I think that uh, a lot of people think that Charles's system is, yeah, over, overly complex and puts too much emphasis on single joint movements where you just need to practice the big lifts versus doing your hamstring curls right. and things like that. Hamstring curls are a waste of time. You know, that kind of mentality that the other side of strength training, I think, you know. Yeah. No, I still I still include structural balance theory and I, you, you'll, you'll see it in all my I – could, I could give you a, the login to all my programs and you would see it. There's paired movements. Do you need a lot of leg curl strength? Maybe, maybe not. I've never had a hamstring issue. I've never had a knee issue. Um, you've got reciprocal inhibition as a, as a neurological mechanism that's going to help you with regards to range and strength and joint integrity. Um, I do get the idea that I understand why people might say certain things are complex. I don't see it's too complex, um, pairing movements, but structural balance between joints, I think I think when, when people come to me with injuries, it's quite easy to find why. Or you know, not even injuries like niggles and complaints. When you look at the certain strength of muscle groups, so I, I get the whole idea. You need to train things as a whole, but uh, my my theory, uh, and it's always worked, is what's the weakest link? Yeah, you're only as strong as your weakest link. I, that, that sticks with me. That's whether it's muscle groups, like a weak link within a muscle group. Even again, Louis says that. Whether it's Charles, it's Louis as well. Um, but also strength qualities. You can see it when people lift. If they're constantly just slowly deadlifting off the floor, I talk about the amount of the same thing with Louis says, the amount of gears they've got or, or the gears they have access to. And I see it with people and they lack first and second gear. They lack explosive strength. They lack speed strength. I had it with a female. She, every time she deadlifted, I looked like she went from, it, it looks like a car taking off in third gear. So it's not easy, but you can do it. And it takes ages and ages and ages to get to speed. And that's what it looked like. Uh, and when she gets to a top end strength, it just, she goes from, you know, 100 goes quite quickly, 110, not even moving it. Looks like it's glued to the floor. So we did plyometrics with her. 
Um, obviously, we started with box jumps from a bench, so she's not doing it. It's, it's more ballistic and explosive. So it's giving her a bit the ability to get first gear activated. And then we did some speed strength work, some some you know uh, deadlifts against chains, bands, whatever. And her one RM went up without doing the main lift. Um, so she lacked a specific strength quality. So that the whole uh, you're only as strong as your weakest link. That is that underpins the whole system. And I, I can do it time and time and time again. I've got people like Hixie, who is internationally renowned for the log and, and other things and strongman. And then I've got completely different animals that I use the same exact methods and systems with. So it's not like I'm just getting a lot of freaks in uh, and making them stronger, which can be relatively easy, if I'm honest. Yeah. And you you know, it's not like the Bulgarian system or even potentially the West Side system where the strongest will survive. Like you're you're literally trying to help every person that comes in, you know, maximize. You're not going to just say, oh, you just can't handle it. Like I hear this line from even bodybuilding coaches will say, um, there's there's some, some prominent guys who say like oh, the tendons just aren't able to deal with the amount of volume that's required for them to be a bodybuilder. So it's just not for them because when they get to the volume that they need for growth, then the, their tendons blow up. But what they don't have in their in their toolkit is an understanding of the the force curves and the strength curves and and you know joint by joint balance, and, and oftentimes they you know, some of those guys have been very vocal speaking out against Charles's stuff, um, and then they're, they're saying things like that as well. And it's like, well, mm. you know, there, maybe there's a knowledge gap here. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts about? Because to me, like, I had a bit of an epiphany. I had a massive epiphany looking at uh, Wolfgang Unzolt's, some of his posts on Instagram, and then starting to work with uh, Ben Patrick, right? So I've been really vocal about saying, I think Ben Patrick has solved something that no one else has expressed um, in the same way or with clarity about knee issues, especially for runners and sprinters, jumpers, and mm. um, and I sort of was looking at Wolfgang's work at the time, looking at Ben's work and trying to deal with some of my own challenges. And I've arrived to a completely different understanding of, of strength training after like 20 years, you know, in the gym and reading lots and lots of different books and, you know, having done a bunch of courses. And then I was finally like, oh, that's what, that's what they were doing. Like that's what Charles was doing. That's what Wolfgang does. It's different. And the, the thing for me was that you have to look at, the structural component of the exercise as well as the neurological component of the exercise and understand is there a strong tendon connective tissue contribution to this movement or is it pretty much just a neural movement where the connective tissue is not getting challenged unless it's an extreme load um, mm -hmm. relative to the, to the other movements. Do you kind of, you know, do you think about things in those, those terms? I think so, based on what you've explained to me. I'm a big fan of Ben's stuff. I don't, I don't massively scroll on, on his. I don't, I don't follow Wolfgang's You're stuff disciplined. at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You're disciplined and and uh, focused on on your own mission, which is great. I, I just find that I think social media can be great for things, but I just. I'm not a big, but you can't be on everyone's stuff. No. I've got a few guys. You know, there's a few guys That's it. that I you've really. Got, you've got to select few that you look at, and I, I see some stuff and. Some of the stuff I do look at and stop at the moment, I'm, I'm a bit like, I'm not going to drop names. I'm not interested in outing people, but I think coaches need to look at results. And one of the reasons I like Ben Patrick is it's results, results, results. 
And I've yeah. seen him comment and they're like, oh, can you fix this? I'm like, well, I've had success with it. So he doesn't bullshit people, but he provides results. And I see other people and they're not providing the results that I see that they're, they're throwing out on social media. Because if their system was that fucking good, then they're not, I don't see any of their coaches producing shit. Yeah. So one of the things I think coaches need to do is just ask, what have you produced? What are your coaches producing? What are you doing with your athletes? There needs to be a quantifiable, I took them from here to here. A lot of it I see, I saw another one recently, I think he's got like a couple of hundred thousand followers. And what I, I look at it and I'm like, that's a lot of fluff training. That's, that's what Charles would uh, refer to as entertaining. It is entertaining work. I want to know what you've done with that athlete. Um, have you made them quicker? Have you made them more uh, injury resilient? Have their yards improved? What What is it? But I don't see enough of this and I don't see enough of it being asked either. Yeah. I think it's always good to look at like, so what is the end game of this person as well? Because like I've seen a couple of posts from Wolfgang. I know you're friends with him as well. You um, know, I got massive respect for Wolfgang. Like he's presented for a movement. I think he's, you know, top five coaches in the world as far as I'm concerned. Like knowledgeable guy, done so much for teaching uh, others. He's he's done two posts in you know recently saying the split squat is a potentiation exercise. Um, it's you know the most misunderstood exercise in strength training, etc. Where Ben you know often says like this is my number one exercise. This is the one that's made the most difference for me. I think you have to look at like what the objectives are of these coaches, what they've dealt with, mm. and and where they're where they're going with things. Um, if you look at maximum jumping ability, it isn't necessarily i mean a big part of it is being able to keep your knees healthy so you can keep going back and practicing your dunks as well as getting stronger in the specific range um and then you know a lot of the jump training systems is all about training that specific range for increases in jumps but if you can't stay healthy then you can't go yeah. and keep going out and, and jumping hard so that is the massive kind of difference in dichotomy where Ben had multiple knee surgeries, like he's got artificial stuff in his knees. He couldn't touch the, the he couldn't touch the backboard. I don't think he couldn't touch the ring. You know, now he's throwing down windmill dunks. Like what made the difference to him was yeah. getting healthy. You know, so you got to look at it of like what was the objective of this person. The other thing with the split squat, because I saw you you also post around this. I think the the thing that ev like a lot of people in the the strength strength world, you know, like that love the barbell, might be mm. not looking at is the role of the hip flexor in the back leg, right? Yeah. So it's a huge stretch. Like the way Ben is like the ATG split squat is the mm. Poliquin split squat taken to another level in terms of the back hip flexor. Yeah. If hip flexors are the most chronically tight um, you know, muscle that is causing inhibition, you know, causing issues for the hamstring, limiting top speed, you know, limiting stride length, then you have to consider the role that that is playing also in the knee pathology um, and that, that I think is why it's much bigger bang for buck. Um, I, mm -hmm. I moved on from it quite quickly. Like I got strength trained. I got POCP one and two in your gym, Tom, and that with, yeah. uh, Derek, Derek Woodski, um, and, um, yeah. Mary Pierre. Um, yeah. She had a good split yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, but that was when Andre was there, Rasmus. It was a great crew. I've kept, I've kept in touch with a lot of the guys. Christian Kern has done well with his gym, um, Marcel, like it was amazing how many people actually have done great stuff on the back of that. Um, yeah. But I remember going through the split squat and it was kind of like, well, this is what you need to do until you can squat. And I was like, well, I can already squat. So, you know, I don't even really need to look at this. I think that was the biggest failing. And even the, the Patrick's and the Peterson's, um, at, well, he didn't have the Patrick step up. He had the Peterson step up. Um, yeah. 
and the polyquin step up, it was kind of glazed over. And then I battled knee tendonitis for the next, you know, bunch of years where I actually had these tools introduced to me, but I didn't understand them. And I think because Derek already had a 40-inch vertical jump when he started working with Charles and he'd been through all sorts of knee troubles, like he had a different perspective on it. And I missed, I missed a, like a bunch of gold um, from that. But, the, yeah, the difference of the Patrick um, split squat is, is I think a lot of the magic is, is in the emphasis on the range and then the, emph- the, the, the value that that can have for the fluidity of the hips. You know, if you look at Usain Bolt and how fluid his hips are, well, that's not really a, a priority for a strong man, right? Like, so you've got to look at who, who's doing what for why. It's funny you say that about the strongman because I've, I've got a client, I've got many clients that do this and they don't squat. I'm looking for knee to go hamstring on calf, okay? Yeah. And these guys, they're like, my depth is good. I'm like, yes, your depth is good, but we're not using the squat for powerlifting. I want to use the squat as an assistance movement for all of your other movements, but also to keep knees healthy. So long story short, had it with this guy. I'm like, right, you're always going to squat halfway or just below. I'm going to put split squats at the end of your program so I can at least stimulate the uh, the knee joint and the hip flexor in that uh, that range at the end of it. But it, it's it's just people always do it. People always go back to bad habits um, because they think they're just hitting depth. But I'm using it for a different reason. And no matter how many times I explain it to them, they don't get it. <laughs> so what what would be specifically? Because I think this is a massive point. Like what gains specifically do you think people are going to get if they do have the ability to really get to that? very bottom rock bottom position you know leave a stain on the floor charles used to always say like why is that valuable I, to you for me it's just knee health but he yeah he's going but down what's he going to do for the knee half, he's leaving his knee about halfway and sitting back into it so he's putting a shearing shearing force on his knee capsule so for me yeah. the, 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 the the there's going to be less what i see is he's not going to get the myotatic reflex uh, hamstrings off the calf so his, his squat's going to go up slower which is going to hold him back long term when I look at how his squat progresses compared to all his overhead lifts and things like that. So yep. it's going to, he's presenting knee tendonitis and, and different kind of issues yep. literally every six weeks when he shouldn't be. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's just, it just, it's, it's like, if you fix it, leave your ego at the door, drop your squat 20 kilos, maybe 30 kilos, everything else will start to go up and it will come up quicker. But it's that constant, I get towards the end of the program, I see myself getting stronger, I want to chase old numbers, I believe I'm at this standard. And it's like, look, the squat is an assistance lift in our sport. It's not a main lift. The main lift is, you know, log, axle, dumbbell, deadlift. We rarely get tested in the squat. And then when we do get tested in the squat, then we can go to parallel, like, and we can squat more hip dominant. But he's kind of in that point where he's just, he's mixing up the two. He's kind of, I'm asking for an Olympic squat. He knows this. And then he gets down to the bottom and he sits back. Yeah. Which is the complete opposite angle of the, the knee I want. I want the knee to obviously point forward. Um, so for him, it's just going to be lack of progress. Yeah. 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 I think it's, uh, for me, Tom, like the athletes, for athletes, you definitely want to see that full depth. Like I think Charles was right. And I think so many coaches just glaze over it and think, well, you know, it's kind of deep enough. Like they're definitely past parallel. Um when the biggest the biggest goal if you're training athletes is to keep them on the field. Like if they can keep training, if they can keep playing, like the gym number literally does not matter, you know, relative to you know them being there. I mean, and the vertical jump is probably you know the split this the speed times are what you want, and, and the research says the full depth is going to be better for that. You know, so yeah. 
It's massive. It, it seems yeah. like a no-brainer. I forget that you come from the team sports background, but it's the same thing I say to them, like, especially with team athletes. I've got a 400 meter run. I'm like, this is all fluff. You just need to perform on the track. This is all, yeah. this is all we can, we can deload this. I can take this down. And I said to the guy with the knee thing, I'm like, right, we're going to take your, your deload down another 30%. And he was a bit concerned. I'm like, it doesn't matter. You're going to be fine long-term. Um, but yeah, that's, that's another thing. Deloads and, and, and figuring out what kind of volume they need in the gym. Charles is always famous for saying, I always bring him up, but Charles was famous for saying, you only need two 20 minute sessions to maintain hypertrophy per week for the season. Mm. Yeah, don't need a huge yeah, amount of work as an athlete. That's a lot of my sessions were like there was, you know, there was a little buzz at the start of a few different movements, you know, to to get the get some blood flow, get some some buzz in the room, and then we would have like two, you know, two sort of heavy lifts. We might build to a a reasonably heavy set of squats, um, a reasonably heavy set of like cleans or snatches, and then they'll do like a circuit of assistance work where they just move from from one to the next, twenty minutes, twenty five minutes. And, and they would be done. Sometimes, you know, guys have little bits of extras they need to do, but my goal was to just keep them feeling fresh. Um, and oftentimes we could actually still improve their numbers in season because a lot of them hadn't trained those movements very seriously, especially in the one to five rep range or the one to three rep range where, you yeah. know, I did a lot of work in that rep range, keep them fresh. People think, oh, you can't train one to three rep range in season. It matters what percentage, like the details matter, right? Like I'm not saying they were doing it at 105% all the time, yeah, yeah. you know, Though you get to that, get to that single at ninety percent, get to that single at ninety, you know, ninety five percent, and you know, it, they they actually loved it, recovered from it well, get the you know get the high yeah. testosterone, keep getting stronger, and then you know ultimately like the results were there. Like we we won the the first year that I worked in the in the NRL, and then you know we we led the second year, and then you know we won the regular season, and that's it's been a dynasty since then. You know, one of my assistants took over. Um, and they they won another two competitions after that. Patrick Lane, who you might you might have seen as well, um, who's also you know loves loves Charles's work. It's not obviously a strength coach doesn't win a competition. There's a there's a lot of other factors, mm-hmm. players, coaches, and budgets, and and lots of things. Um, but all of those players will say they felt significantly different. You know their their bodies were were in a different shape. Um, but I would have them just sit in the bottom of a squat before every field session as well, and get into a split squat. Um, as part of their, you know, I used to have them for six minutes before the field session, like on the field. Um, and we would, within that, there'd be maybe two minutes of that, which was in different body positions. And the rest of it would be like skill, sort of running footwork, um, that sort of thing. But even just those micro, micro doses of positions, um, you know, they they feel different for the session. They, they progress over time. Like it doesn't have to be huge volumes of, especially all this dinky kind of mobility stuff that you see going around, like, I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of getting your mobility through through your strengths. Like that's the range of strengths yeah. brand that we've built um, is, is built on that that concept. And that's probably one thing I'd like to touch on with you as well because um, I feel like that's the other big piece that Charles like was kind of onto, but like maybe I think that's a piece that he he, he kind of missed. Like there were – when I was at your place, we are talking about the stretch to win and then there was the mm-hmm. ART and there's the – Pims and there was the, you know, there were a number of different, like he valued flexibility. By my mind, he didn't like, I don't know why there wasn't just more use of the weights to actually help you get into the positions. Like that's what I've kind of arrived to. Um, thoughts on that? 
Yeah. So weighted stretching I use. I like it. I think it's easier. I think it's like you should be able to go in and squat straight away. Well, not everyone yeah. can. And then it's trying to bridge the gap to get them to do that and figuring out the smallest amount of time, the smallest amount of work. I do a little bit of soft tissue work. I think Charles and the way he did his systems, and obviously because I've, I've gleaned a lot from that, is what's the easiest system to use? Um, hence the, the pressure points and things like that. Um, yeah. I do value ART. I think it's all valuable. I just, I just, uh, in my experience now, in the years since then, you know, I went and did a lot of work with Ido Portal, who was also heavily influenced by Charles, and then you know, gymnastics training to be able to do press handstands and things like this. You need to be able to get, you know, way beyond palms on the floor, you know, standing mm-hmm. pike, like leg, leg straight, palms to floor, those sorts of things. Like, you have to be able to get to those things. Um, you know, splits with your calves on the ground, etc. But in, in my experience. It's just strength training. Like there's literally no difference. To be able to do a back lever on the rings, it's exactly the same as the incline bicep curl. You just have to take the angles further um, and play, you know, play with the physics of it. That I think is is a big part of the magic of what knees over toes, um, you know, what the the knee ability, that athletic truth group system has done is just to take it that little bit further, which in, I think like athletes, especially sprinters, they need that extra bit of, of mobility, which Charles believed in. And he did, I know he would always say like, I'm functionally, functionally lazy with this, um, you know, I take the shortest path, but I don't think yeah. it is the shortest path versus actually manipulating the exercise selection, which Charles was a master of the exercise selection, yeah. you know, manipulate the exercise selection so that you do you know, end up getting to these freakish um flexibility feats that are actually normal in martial arts or gymnastics or ballet or um, where strength training often, especially for the average gym goer, they're going to lose all sorts of mobility by training like a traditional bodybuilder. Like, so we know that really takes away and makes you more uh, fragile takes, you know, if you just train like a powerlifter without any Mm -hmm. of this philosophy, you're going to become less and less like a child. You're going to become less and less like an athlete, less, less resilient. Like the other extreme of that is like using the weights to keep you really, you know, human and balanced, um, mm-hmm. which is the, the core of what you got, like what you do and what Charles was doing. I just think there's another few degrees of, of that for the people that need it, which isn't necessarily, you know, it's not the strong man because keeping some degree of, tightness in the suit actually makes sense as well like a powerlifter wears mm-hmm. a powerlifting suit for a reason so the fact like some fashion tightness stiffness make makes sense for these you know big heavy guys who want to lift ridiculous weights it's only contributing fractions but it's fractions that make the difference between winning and losing as well right yeah. like um, yeah at the top end it can yeah for sure mm. i wanted to touch on that with you because i it's it's something that i've been thinking about a lot i know didn't know how it crosses over with um, with your world. Um, yeah, we've covered mixed a lot. in the same way Charles does. Yeah, can we talk a little bit specifically about pressing? Seeing as though that's, like, can you? I love pressing. Share, share a little bit of your background. Like, how did you, how did you get into, like, how did you fall in love with the press, and what are some of the results you've had there? The it's specifically the log is what I fell in love with because you have to be good at everything. You need, as we've just been speaking about, you need adequate levels of mobility. You can't lock it out. I see strong men who they lean back, they have a quick look at the ref, 
and they think they've locked it out. You should be able to stand all the way upright. So you need to balance every strength quality from speed strength to explosive strength to muscular strength, the deadlift, the clean, the press. So it's just, there's something just inherently fun um, about it, but also challenging in that respect as well. You don't get many people that just can brute strength the, the world record. He was close the way he did it, but he was also technically very sound. Um, so I just fell in love with it from that and then got in, got into it and just wanted to chase down the under 90 world record. That was literally my, my, my main goal. I also wanted to be world's strongest man, fell short, just came second. Um, but the world record I did manage to achieve. And it's just, it's just fun. I just like that lift specifically. Um, I find it quicker to teach the Olympic weightlifts or at least quicker to get heavier. Does that make sense? So some people yeah. you get to a point and in the clean, they just they don't want it they don't want it to hit their chest they don't want to get under the bar in a squat clean they don't want it. so it just gets that little bit more precarious um, whereas the log it rolls up you don't have that problem um, so yeah just fell in love with it from the fact that I had to compete in it. Have you used it much with rugby players and you know do you use it a lot with your clients? And you find it every like single person who comes in my gym must be on the <laughs> log. <laughs> and you find it you find it easier to teach than like clean and yeah. jerk or yeah cool yeah. so would you do that if you if you went and worked with you know one of the, the you know if you went and work with the lions or british lions would you have them all uh log clean and pressing most probably i you know you'd have to do obviously the the assessments but i'd assume it would yeah. help their Not, shoulders yeah. a little bit more i'd assume yeah. they'd be they i'd assume most of them would be able to catch a, a log in a clip sorry a clean with a log easier than a uh, a barbell I'd assume mm. some of those props and forwards can't do yeah. that. Um, yeah. That's an assumption, obviously. And obviously, you should, you should be able to fix it. But why bother if you can just use the log? Um, obviously, the forward displacement of the log puts a lot more through the trunk. I don't like using yeah. core, but it, it affects your, your trunk and your upper back strength uh, that yeah. little bit more. So it, it's my go-to because it's a lot easier. Um, and then if you look at yeah. the neutral factor on the press, I think that would be um, better for most people as well. The only drawback is it's a partial lift because obviously the log has a diameter that sits away from you. So the handles yep. are like that. They're not directly on the chest, but I use I use the Swiss bar to combat that. Again, we're talking about mobility. I want it to be strong through a full range and I want to make sure I can press from the chest as well as from a partial range. Yeah, the partial pressing is also super valuable, right? Like, as long as it's not the only work that you're doing, what would, yeah. So there's so many questions I want to ask you. What was your world record there? <laughs> so I managed uh, to achieve 166 kilos at a body weight of under 90 kilos. Yeah. Were you right on the border with your body weight then? Or I know for a while you were like you were fighting drop. to get up there. I did a 24-hour drop. So you get a 24-hour weigh-in with some of the record attempts. Um, so yep. believe it or not, on Monday, I was 97 kilos. <laughs> on Saturday morning, I was under the weight. It was one of the worst weight cuts I've done, but it's the only time I've used an IV. An IV makes a whole whole difference, whole world of difference. Every other time I've rehydrated uh, through obviously intake. Um, an IV within an hour, well, the, the IV went into me within half an hour. I felt superhuman at that point. Normally, I'm dead until the evening, and then all of a sudden, I start waking up. But the IV makes, especially with that kind of weight cut. Now, I've done that a lot of times, and I, I always do it as a step. So my first ever competitions, I would weigh in with all my clothes on and my shoes on, and I'd be under 90. 
And then I'd get a little bit heavier throughout the years and I'd go from 92, 93, 94. So I didn't just go and start at 97, yeah. which is another mistake I see I see some people do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you do the like hot hot bath and you know sheets or sauna sauna and that sort of stuff to strip? Sauna was what we so what I wanted to do again, I wanted to risk it a little bit. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go to bed heavier. So I went to bed and I think I was 92 kilos. And normally overnight, you know, at that point, I'm going to get, because I'd stopped drinking for, I'd stopped drinking in that morning. So I'd already stopped drinking for at least 12 hours. So another 12 hours of no fluid and sleeping, I would have been another kilo uh, lighter in the morning. And yep. it wasn't as much as we thought. So I had to sweat out a lot more uh, in the sauna the next day. And then sometimes you can look at, and again, it's, you know, this performance isn't necessarily healthy. But sometimes you can look at certain diuretics as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, world records are world records for a reason. If if uh, it's, it's not the same as mum and dad training for, for longevity. Um, no, no, it's completely different. I, no one's ever done. I said this to some clients at the last one because I, um, I had to do a teeny tiny weight drop uh, for my competition just uh, in November. And they were like, oh, you look like that. I'm like, look, there's nothing about performance that's healthy. Okay, you guys train completely differently. There's nothing about what I'm doing that's necessarily healthy. I'm not being stupid, <laughs> but this this is not something I'm going to do week in, week out. How do you feel in the in the big body now compared to when you were, you know, at that 88 kilos trying to? It took a while. So I went from, I did, as soon as I hit the world record at 90, I was like, boom, I'm done. I'm going up. Okay, I'm not going, I'm not doing this weight cut ever again. Uh, so I went to 105, and that same year I managed to break the British record twice. So I've done 177.2 kilos at 105 kilos, and it took a yeah. while. I noticed when I was cleaning it, I, blood pressure would be up, and I wasn't it wasn't fat necessarily. It wasn't anything to do with poor nutrition. It was just getting used to walking around. I could feel my, um, you know, you could feel walking up the stairs. You could feel your energy system working. You're just like, this is not normal. Now. I'm at 105, walking around, pretty comfortably, pretty healthy, jumping around, running about, absolutely fine. Yep. But it took, it took, it, it, it did, that's one thing, because I've never done it, and I've never had many athletes go that big uh, or change weight categories that much. So that's one thing that I will, I will obviously, you know, take as an experience and go, look, you need to look at it and go, it's going to take a year of normalizing at that body weight. Yeah. Do you prefer now being that 105 than, you know, bit like where you were at the 88 or 90 or whatever you know you're pretty you're you're shredded you know it's a different kind of uh yeah different different style of physique i'm for sure a bit softer i prefer being leaner but i'm comfortable now i think it was a good thing because my you know you know body image i was always a little bit obsessed with body image as well so it was difficult yeah. to put on on body fat. So for me to normalize and be okay with things like that was actually good for me. Now that sounds weird. Yeah. I don't know if you've had that with clients, but for me to yeah. understand, I mean, a better relationship with body image and food and things like that, um, that was actually quite important. But I definitely prefer being leaner. But my balance at the moment is I'll get leaner and I was like, oh, fuck, I need to get stronger. And I've still got that yeah. world record to hit. So I'm still like, look, just hit the world record and then I can spend the next 50 years getting leaner. <laughs> so what what is the number there that you're zeroed in on? The world record for the 105 is 186. So only 187 or more. 
I, the last comp, I had a lot of elbow tendonitis issues stemming from a change in clean technique, and it just got unbearable. You know what it's like when you, you feel okay, and then you warm up, and then it just it's like that numb pain for like half an hour, maybe more, and then it turned into like the whole day. Um, so I hit I hit gym PBs leading up to it, but I wasn't able, and I opened on a good lift, but I wasn't able to present it on the day. Um, another thing happened on that day, and I think that was meant to happen rather than me me break a record. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. When when do you think you might go around again for that? Whenever the gym's open. Um, so I've got another four. <laughs> yeah. if, I, Recall the if I have four, yeah, if I have four to eight weeks of good prep, it'd be you know it'd be good to see where I'm at. There are comps yeah. that have been put up. I think we're looking yeah. at you know most realistic is you know prepare for June July because. You know, people like me can go into a gym that's <laughs> my own and other people are at home and they've got no access. So I think they'll probably wait a little bit longer. Um, so we're yeah. looking at the second half of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and how how's the tendon, how's the, the tricep now? So, yeah, it was, um, it wasn't triceps, it was back really you that? Made in, mainly. It's okay. weak. I was doing some hammer curls on a 40 degree incline and I could feel it was weak still um there's no pain i haven't gone into cleaning the log yet i'm still just this is the second week of being back on push press on the log out of the rack um but i'll go back to clean soon and see how it feels on that um it'll be fine yeah and what about uh with the people that you're working with so you're you're working with a bunch of super, like super high level strongmen now is that like is that the the focus and the what's most exciting as a coach at the moment or I, you know, I get excited go? about anyone that can. I get excited about anyone that makes results, and I get. I, you know what? I love case studies where people don't think they've got any more left. You yeah, know, like last person to come to. Um, I like challenges. I do love the strength athletes, but I get as much uh, uh, gratification out of training Hixie to is literally that far off the world record, just a, a small mistake. As you know, the guys uh, when they come back to my local gym and seeing them progress, you know, day to day. Um, my goal is actually to get the gym, to get more strength athletes in my gym, and to to take them, you know, through through the next levels and, and be, you know, over the next year, take it from athlete to coach, as we spoke about right at the beginning of this um, this podcast. Yep, yep, yep. What do you what do you think you might achieve as a coach? Like, if you we look at the next five, ten years, like. What would be like if you okay, so this the, the, the crazy goal I've got is I want to have half of the finalists at World Strongest Man. And I haven't thought about powerlifting or weightlifting. I'd love to help more. I have, I have a weightlifter called Tadas who is incredible. Um, we've done some great stuff with him uh, from battered, can't move to going to a 170 clean and jerk at 95 kilos. So he's an incredibly strong guy. Um, I'd love to have more powerlifters. Um, obviously, I'm not known in powerlifting. I have some on the books. You know, I'm known for strength, and I can get anyone strong, whether it's athletic performance or strongman. But obviously, there's that goal in strongman of having five out of the, five out of ten, so half of the world's strongest man finalists. That'd be a cool, cool goal. Whether it's out of my gym or whether it's you know I train them from from a distance and consult them. Um, that would be nice. It's fun. How many have you worked with so far? I've taken. Matthias Belsack to the final and Hixie to the final. They never got to the final before they started working with me, so I'm proud of that achievement. Um, Aaron Page would never have got, wouldn't have got to the final, but he got invited last year, and he was a guy uh, who was in my gym, and then he 
he recently um he left a couple of years ago so he i'm proud of what he did um who else we got chris morgan i've got to uk's final that was quite a big achievement that was the first time he's done that but um for as of worlds it's just just the two guys another guy i've helped uh mikael licht um he's a danish guy i've consulted and he he wasn't competing last two years but he's a six-time danish Denmark's strongest man. He's another guy that has the possibility to do to do good things. What would you change for the powerlifters? Like, how different would your, you know, how you're training them be? I think one of the things I, I definitely intersperse into powerlifting when whenever they come to me, it's usually new techniques for them, and I like to use the uh, the analogy of neurology. And it's advanced techniques, as you, you or maybe somebody else might call them, um, like isometrics, eccentrics, and things like that. And yep. it's a case of I like to use things like maximal isometrics, maximal eccentrics, so they can activate higher threshold motor units than they're normally used to. And then it translates into neurological improvements in performance over the long term. Um, so often the, the thing with powerlifters is they don't use those kind of things. They don't use that kind of thinking. Um, I see Josh Bryant use it a lot, but not many, yeah. not many other coaches. Josh Bryant has some some awesome content, training some super yeah. strong guys. Yeah, Julius Maddox, the um, the bench presser. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who is he? One of the guys that you that you will kind of keep an eye on. Like, who who are the guys that you sort of keep an eye on? What they're up to? Josh Bryant for sure. I think he's he's really good. Um, who else do I look at for strength? Louis, Louis, I look at a lot. I read a lot of his stuff. Tell you what, I'm going back through um, the older strength texts. I like going back through the Poliquin principles. Just the, you know the manual, not not the yep. not the book, the actual manuals. Because yep. you know, and the science of practice of strength training, super training. I've actually never read. Charles put me off reading super training. Believe it or not, he was like, "Don't read it. It's too much maths. You need to be." Um, a mathematic genius before uh, reading it. You've just paused, but I'm going to keep going. Um, so I'm yeah, going through those, back through those books and just trying to, I think once you go through five years without reading it and then you read it again, something small might just go, what? Ah, that'll click more. Um, but as for people online, I don't have a huge amount of people I go to and I get excited about their content, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather read books. Yeah. Cool. What about you? Well, uh, um, at the moment, yeah, I mean, the I think the the big innovation, the big thinking point for me has been around the manipulation of the strength curve and thinking about really concentric dominant exercises and the therapeutic role of, of strongman exercises and those sorts of things and taking it to the, the outer range. So it's kind of like applying what Ben's – so Ben has like a hierarchy of movements for the knee um, it's it's basically like quad quad ten and quad, you know, um, a s series that that is working very well. Like he's getting a lot of people saying, "I've done everything," and then this, you know, now I can cancel my surgery or now X Y Z's happened. Um, mm -hmm. I think that same therapy is going to work for a lot of other joints across the body. So like that's really been what I've been thinking most about. Um, I wish I had a lot more time, you know, for a lot more research. Um, to publish all the kind of ideas that I, you know, have that things that are messing around in my in, in my brain, but um, yeah. yeah, that's probably okay. been the biggest, the biggest, yeah, the biggest focus for me is like, so thinking about how that that fits together. Um, 
I'm not sure if there's any like strength coach at the moment that's really rocking my world. Um, I always like, you know, seeing what you're up to. I think your your videos, like you have you had so much value in the content. Like I think you're probably the the most underrated guy on Instagram in, in strength. Like you don't um, you don't get the you don't get the uh, the views and the likes that you should get for whatever whatever factors go into that. But um, yeah, you've got some some really valuable stuff there. Um, I think Wolfgang Wolfgang's posts are like also you know the massive bang for your buck posts. I know he's not a huge fan of of social media and the distractions of it and whatnot, but like the the value that's in his content is is uh, you know phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like he goes straight to the point. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I've just been getting back to my own training. You know, we we moved around so much, and then you know now we live. Yeah. I don't even have any bars or anything. There's there's literally no gym on this island that I live on. Um, so yeah. I've been getting back into my uh, dips and chins as a huge focus, and building the weight on my weighted weighted dips and chins. And yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's always something to be excited about. I think that's the main thing. You know, everybody needs to have. Uh, movements that they're you know like if, if you're excited about your training and there's an experiment that you're running I think life is is so much better than when you don't have that you know I didn't have it for a few months recently and it was a little bit like what you're talking about with the body composition like usually if I'm not training well I'm I'm depressed like if I feel like I'm going backwards in terms of strength mm-hmm. performance mm-hmm. body composition like I get depressed and feel down on myself but I didn't have that recently which was like a good breakthrough for me of like I don't have to attach my self-worth to you know what what's going on in the gym in saying that it's been epic to like be you know getting getting improvements again um session on session you know recovering and testing ideas and uh, i just think anyone who's not having that experience is is kind of missing out on one of the real joys of life like it's it's really not a i don't have to discipline myself to do it like i love it like you know another another lesson from charles like you do what you love most but it's Mm -hmm. you know not being able to train is, is such a yeah, that's that's a lot worse than actually having to to discipline yourself mm-hmm. to kind of like sure. force yourself into it versus like actually looking forward to the session. Yeah, couldn't agree more, mate. Couldn't agree more. Have you had any time off like in the last decades? Like, do you do you always do you train every week kind of thing? And yeah, the the times I have off are immediately after competition. I use the same rule I use with my athletes. I'm like, I need a week off. Um, yeah. And again, it's like like Charles said, I, ideally, I'd send them to the opposite climate or have them do the opposite thing. I'm like, look, go for a swim, go for walking, play table tennis, do the opposite, do a yin activity, go to yoga. Um, so I do that. I had a slightly longer period off uh, after the last comp for, you know, you've got you've got COVID reasons, but it was mainly the elbow. So I just had to dance around that a little bit. But no, I'm I'm always in the gym. I've always got, as you say, it's it's, it's the experiment. That I like. Yeah, I'm not just trying the same things. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I want to try different things. I want to see. I want to use myself as a guinea pig and not my clients before them. Um, so you know what? That's the you know the experiment and, and enjoying that aspect is you know, it's never ending for me. Love it, love it. I think it's a that's a good note to end on, Tom. The we do it do it for the love and the the, the joy of the of the journey and seeing you know seeing others triumph as well and you know that's I think the one of the one of the great things you know you you put all that effort and time into strategy and science and then you have this other side of it that's like the emotion and the you know the, the mm. satisfaction the connections the people that you meet like all that human human side of training is is so valuable as well 
Um, yeah, I re really appreciate all the work that you do and everything that you've shared today. Look forward to, to checking out the app. Um, yeah, anyone who's not like checking out Tom's stuff, his website has ridiculous amounts of, of value on there um, and, and Instagram as well. It's Social media can be a waste of time, but if you're looking at the right people, then it can be a gold mine, you know, where you're literally discovering decades worth of knowledge. Um, Thank at, you so much for having me and your kind words. I really appreciate it, King. And we will do this again sometime. Yeah, hopefully I can cruise across the water. We're, we're not far away from each other now. So no, nah, man, you're li literally a stone's throw. You've got to come. You've got to come see the place. It's massively different. It'd be great to have. Yeah, it was literally like they told us we couldn't leave the hotel and all that 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 jazz when we when we buzzed through last time. Was, um, but yeah, it's going to happen. So thanks for your time. Look forward to chatting again soon. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, Tom.